theyeshiva.net. Welcome everyone to a special edition, part two of a three-part series for Shiduchim with Rabbi Wawa Jacobson. And tonight we're going to be focusing on the boys. And I see we have um, hardcore followers that are here Monday night with us. And uh, they would come if we would have a show every, every night of the week, um, which is very nice. So talking about the boys tonight, you, you, you're talking about people who are um, starting Shaduchim, thinking of starting, how to start, what they're looking for, and all the way down the road till we got questions of even uh, second marriages um, with many, many different interesting questions in between. And I would say we got a lot of questions. And uh, the truth is, an hour and a half, even two hours, will not be enough to be able to uh, cover everything. So I think we should get started straight away with the questions. And everyone will be able to get out whatever they need. And you can ask your questions. Um, you can send them in with somebody else's name if, if you don't want. And we should um, hear Simchas. Uh, Again, I want to start off with us thanking our corporate sponsors for making it possible tonight. Ari Klein from Klein's Kosher Ice Cream, always promoting Rabbi Waiwai. Rabbi also Ocean Breeze Cleaning. A good friend of mine, Moshe Feldman, who does power washing in Lakewood. Anybody who needs any power washing, please contact him. His number is 732-276-5668. Again, let's just start tonight. Tonight is part two of part three series. We're focusing on dating. We started the first part was the parents' role, and that was an amazing share. Tremendous feedback. It's all recorded. You could go to menachembernfeld.com and watch it. It's all over the place. We got a tremendous amount of feedback from the parents. Tonight, we're focusing, hyper-focusing on the boys, the men in the dating world. The questions are coming in are very blunt, straight, and we're really going to try to uh, cover them and be very open again. And we really want anybody to ask live. Again, the questions should be focused on the boys' point of view because we got some questions from the parents and from the girls. We're met Shem after Pesach. Rabbi Wawa didn't confirm the date. But we're going to do a shir for the girls, for all those girls. We'll see that shir. And um, I'll be focused for the girls. But tonight, since it's been as I'm going to focus for the boys. So let's start off with Rabbi Waiwai. And Rabbi Waiwai, before you start, I want to let you know we got a tremendous amount of questions, a lot of very hardcore questions, and people really want to get in with it tonight. So the floor is yours. Wow, thank you so, so much. Thank you again, Rabbi Menachem. Thank you again, Rabbi Usher. You're keeping the Jewish world busy. And the uh, rumor has it that in the middle of Bdikas Chamas, there's also going to be a show. So nobody, uh, nobody uh, goes bored the night before Pesach or two nights before Pesach this year. I'm sorry we can't do the Seder together on Zoom. Okay. L'shana Habba Yerushalayim. So first of all, thank you so much for this privilege and this invitation. Thank you for everybody who's gracing us with your presence. I'm going to share some opening remarks and uh, then we'll go right to uh, the interactive workshop with questions and answers and dialogue and feedback and conversation. One of the challenges, I think, that exists for many young men dating of different ages and different demographics is the fact that it's really a very vulnerable process. You know, I've heard this from many boys, from many bachram, yeshiva bachram. I know this for myself from relatives, from friends. It's very vulnerable, you know, for the first time in life, especially if you're just starting, you're out there. And you're vulnerable. You may get a no. You may get many no's. Rejection is not easy. People are talking about you. 
behind your back. <laughs> For good reason, they should be talking behind your back, right? They're scrutinizing you. There's calls about you. They're dissecting you. You know, somebody's staring at you in shul. You know, the, the future shver is staring. Wants to know how you daven, how you socialize, who you are. You know, how much cake you eat at the kiddush, what type of herring your choice is, and all the other important questions. It's, it's as, a, as a boy once told me, it was, it's a demeaning process. And how do I deal with rejection? And the other emotional uh, challenges that come up during this time. So I want to share a perspective that I think might be helpful. It's the last Mishnah in Masech Famous Mishnah, the Mishnah says that on the 15th of Av, Tuba Av, What happened on Chamesh Asabav Yom Kippur? Shabahen B'nois Yisrael Yoytzes V'choyles Bakramim The B'nois Yisrael would go dance in the vineyards and the Mishnah says, Omahu Oimris What would they say? Bacher Sonno Einecha Ure'eh Bacher, young man, lift up your eyes and look. See what you are choosing for yourself. And the Mishnah continues, and then there's a long brace on this Mishnah at the end of Masech Tainus, but that's not for tonight's Shia. And I once heard from my Rebbe a Gewaldic question. Sonna means lift up your eyes. There's a Pasuk, where is that taken from? A Pasuk in Yeshaya. Lift up your eyes to heaven. But one second, he said in Yiddish, the If you're looking up, if you're looking up, you can't see the girl. You want to see what you're choosing. She has to say, look at me, don't look up. And what if the Bach is a tall Bacher? What do you mean? What did she say? Lift up your lift up your eyes. You're going to see nobody. You're going to see the sky. You're not marrying the sky. Trying to marry a girl. But the truth is, the Mishnah is saying something very profound, and that is that really the act of dating is not just to look at the other person. Of course, you have to look at the other person. You want to know if this is the right person for you. But first and foremost, you have to look up. You have to look up, which also means you have to look here, you have to look inside. You have to be able to develop a very deep relationship with yourself and with Hashem. And then you know, to quote Reb Tzadok HaKoyen of Lublin in Sitka Satzadik, Kuf Nun Dalet, Kishem Sha'adum Tzorech Lahamin Ba'ashem Yizboruch Kach Achikach Tzorech Lahamin Ba'atzmai. Just as you have to believe in Hashem, it's a mitzvah also to believe in yourself. To believe in God means to believe that you're not a mistake. To believe that you are Hashem's ambassador in this world. You're an ambassador of love, light, hope. You have tremendous amount to give to be mashpia to this world. You have tremendous amounts of resources. In other words, dating is not only about a relationship with somebody else. It's also coming to terms with yourself trying to be comfortable in your own skin. And for this, I have to be able to look up to God, to be able to understand how unconditionally beloved I am by Hashem, how I am indispensable. I am an indispensable note in the cosmic symphony, and I am a shliach of the Rebbeinu Shalom to light up the world. When I can come from that place in dating, then I could be vulnerable. Then I can understand that a no 
is not an assassination of my essence and my soul and my character. It just means it's not the right person for me. I can be comfortable with the fact that, yes, people are analyzing me, but this is what it is. This is the price you pay for the miracle of building a relationship, building a family, and creating that eternal chain of Knesset Yisrael. An additional point that I will make before we go to the questions is maybe obvious to many, but I think it's important to emphasize. And that is the importance, the profound importance for respect, sensitivity, and dignity. We all know that it says in Svarim, sometimes there are couples who struggle with different issues. And they have come to great tzaddikim over the generations. And the responses sometimes were, check if you have not hurt somebody at a previous point in your life. Maybe you broke up with somebody and you did not apologize. Maybe you hurt somebody's feelings and you never expressed remorse. So it's so important, I say to all of you, whatever you do, whatever your decision is, whatever your choices are, to always be able to show empathy to be respectful of another person, to be kind, to be generous. Don't run and hide. You don't have to be perfect. You have to be accountable. A boy tells me the other day, they're engaged, engaged a few months. He wants to break up the shidduch. I say, I'm sorry to hear. So what are you going to do? He says, I'm planning to send her a text. I said, what? He said, I'm going to send her a text to break up the shidduch. I don't understand. You dated this person for a few weeks. You're engaged now for a few months. This is, where's the dignity? This is how you break up a shidduch after you're engaged. I had to explain this to him. I was shocked. I was absolutely startled. What is this? <laughs> you're objectifying a person, a person with a soul, with emotions. This is after engagement. But even before engagement, even when there's dating, Everything must be done with midis toivis, with respect, with sensitivity, with compassion. And I bless all of you to be able to find your soulmates in an easy and smooth way and build the beautiful families and continue the glorious Jewish tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you, Jacobson, for a beautiful opening. Again, before we start, I just want to let everyone know we have a tremendous amount of questions that came in. I'm sitting in front of 35 questions over here. We'll try to cover as much as possible. Um, it's Erev Pesach. Um, I really ask that everybody can be interactive. Anybody has a question, please text me what the question is. And uh, let's try to make it interactive. You can turn on your cameras. It's, again, tonight's questions are focused on the Bukharim. I'm mandating, so the questions are very straight for the men. To any ladies listening, that's fine. You can listen, but that's what it's focused on tonight. Why are you ready? Ready to go. Okay, here we go. I really want a very pretty girl and a beautiful girl. How much should I listen to what I want? Would it be crazy to drop a girl because she is not pretty enough? Wow. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's a good question. And um, I think there are two points that I would make about this very briefly. Point number one is, it's very important to know what you want and to pursue what you want. 
you know, I remember if I could be personal here, Rosh, I can be personal, right? It's all altsmashpucha. I was dating my dear wife, and the clots I am, it was taking me some time because of my own issues. It wasn't her, it was my, me. So the Shatchan, who was an aunt of mine, calls me after three or four times and says, No, 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 no. This is the best Shidduch. Just finish, finish up. So I say, Listen, you. <laughs> You want me to you want me to get engaged? She says, yeah, yeah. I said, so if you want me to get engaged to her, then I have to get engaged to her. If you want, if you want to get engaged, you can get engaged. It's very important to have the confidence that it's your life ultimately. So therefore, to get engaged under pressure, and this is just a general statement, is not a good idea. <laughs> very, very not a good idea. You know, you have to be there, and if there's something that's really important for you, you want to pursue it. You can't live for other people. <laughs> At some point, you have to embrace who you are, what your priorities are. So that's number one. It's important. If something is important to you, be open, be honest, acknowledge it, and don't run away from it just to appease other people or to look good and fit into other people's expectations. That's number one. However, number two, it's equally important to be able to have real people in your life who are giving you feedback with whom you can share what you're going through in a very honest way, whether it's parents, uncles, aunts, or a shishiva, a rabbi, a therapist, a rabbi, a mashpia, a mentor, a life coach, but people who are wise, empathetic, sensitive, who care for you, who love you. Because what sometimes happens in life is we get fixated on something, and short-term, it looks like the most important thing in the world, but we may not see the full picture. So it's so important to pursue what you want, but to get real feedback about what you really want. Do you know your priorities? Do you understand what it means to build a family together? I'll tell you a story that happened a little while ago, okay? A girl called me. Maybe this is for the girl session, but it's, I think, for everybody. It was a certain shidduch I tried to help with. So she tells me... (laughs) I can't, I'm telling you exactly as it happened. I can't go out with this guy. I say, why not? She says, I go to the movies once a week. She comes from a nice yeshivish from family, but she's, you know, she, she, she has her own style. A little bit of an older girl. She says, I go to the movies once a week, Thursday night. This is her lel shishi, kvies. Some people go to each own. She goes, to, and I need my husband to be able to come with me to the movies. And he doesn't want. So therefore, this is not a shidduch. So I said, listen, you know, I just want to tell you something about life. You know, okay, you'll get married. You'll go to the movies Thursday night, another Thursday night. God willing, do you want to have children? She said, yeah. I said, okay, hopefully after a year, two years, God will bless you with a child. Okay. You know what you're going to want to do Thursday night? <laughs> you're going to want to go to sleep Thursday night. And what may happen, do you want another child? I said, yeah, I want a lot of children. She wants, I said, you'll be blessed with another child and another child. Life becomes a little more, a little different. And to marry somebody based on they go with you to the movies or not, how much do you think of marriage life is going to the movies? How much? Even if it's very, very important for you. And what happens if you don't go with him? You're going to maybe go once in six months. Let's say you don't go with him. You go with a girlfriend. Is it going di- to diminish the marriage? Is there trust? Is there loyalty? Can you guys connect with each other? So it's very important. I'm just giving a, a, a stamina. It's an interesting example. 
But I think it's very important to be able to pursue what you want, but also to really figure out what you really want, not only short-term, but long-term. The next question is, I want to start dating. I think I'm ready to build a home and have a wife, build a family, but I don't feel I can handle being dumped by a girl in the dating process. Wow. That's a great question. I don't feel I don't feel I can be dumped. It's very hard. It's hard. And we all know how many tears are often shed by young men and young women after one of them is rejected or they both reject each other, especially after a few dates. So first of all, it's painful. It hurts. Especially you invested your neshama. You know, you got dressed. You may traveled somewhere. You put in time, energy, research, mental space. It's not easy. I don't have to tell you guys. It takes, it takes energy. It takes kayak and you give it all you got. And you did it once and you were rejected in a second time. And at some point people say, Vifal is ashir. It's too much. And this one was going well. You thought, wow, it's amazing, you know? Five dates, six dates, seven dates. And then boom, she says, I don't think we're for each other. It is very, very difficult. But let me give you the alternative. Maybe this will make it a little easier. A boy called me a few years ago. And he said, we dated nine times. She, in his words, she's crazy about me. She wants to get married to me. But I don't think it's for me. So I say, so why are you continuing? He says, because I don't have the heart to break her heart. I don't have the heart to break her heart. I like her. <laughs> I don't love her. I don't want to get married to her. But I like her. I respect her as a person. I don't want to break her heart. So I said, mm, let's think about this, my dear. Let's think about this. You don't want to break our heart. So what are we going to do? We're going to date another seven times. So now it's going to be from nine times, it's going to become 16 times. At this point, she's going to be very deeply connected to you. And then you're going to say no. He says, I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, okay, so you're going to get engaged to a girl you don't want to be married to just so that you shouldn't break her heart. And how is she going to feel the day she finds out that you never really wanted her? You only said yes because you were afraid to say no because she will feel bad. Don't you think that's going to break her heart much more? So I said, let me explain to you. Let me explain this to you. It's hard, but just understand the alternative. Your wife deserves to have a husband who's crazy about her. Just like you deserve to have a wife who's crazy about you. By saying no, you're doing the person a favor. You're not only doing yourself a favor, because if I'm not going to be the husband of your dreams, you're not going to be the wife of my dreams. If, if, we're not, if we're not deeply, deeply connected to each other, committed to each other, loyal to each other, if we don't feel that we are the couple, so then by saying yes, I'm not just hurting myself, I'm hurting you. I'm not giving you the soulmate you deserve. So look at the no as actually doing a favor to the other person, even though it's painful. So I want you to think of that the same way when it comes to you. By her saying no to you, what she's really saying is, I'm not the person who's going to be crazy about you. I'm not the person that your neshama deserves. Every person has their shidduch, their soulmate, what we call their basheret, even if there's more than one, but there are those who God designated for you. So even though it's painful, but don't look at it as a mistake, 
as a statement that you're worthless, you're valueless. Now we go there. It triggers thoughts. And if you go back to all the trauma sessions with uh, Rabbi Nachman today, the key word is trauma. Trauma, 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 trauma. We all have trauma. So certainly... And I don't mean this as a joke. I also have trauma. Why, why, why are you saying it? You just know you're causing PTSD. PTSD, yeah. I heard the Bush at the end of one of the sessions told Rabbi Russell, I'm traumatized just from the shear. That's your trauma. Halavai, everybody's trauma would be the trauma from listening to a shear about trauma. We all have our traumas. And that's, nor- and that's normal. And it triggers it. She said, no, why did she say no? Here again, I'm a shmata, I'm a nebuch, I'm a loser, I'm an idiot, I'm a moron, I'm a goylem, I'm a idiot, I'm a ferd, I'm a shegetz, I'm a behem. And all the good words you may tell yourself. You have to acknowledge that, but don't worship those thoughts. I say before, that's where you have to lift up your eyes to the Rebbeinah and say, I'm a child of Hashem. I, am, I have infinite dignity. Dignity. My soul is a chelik, eleka, mimal, mamish. As it says in this verse, my soul is a piece of Hashem. And therefore, you can handle a no because you are bigger and larger than every no you will ever receive in life. We're having live questions coming in over here. Let's, let's jump to some live. Okay, okay you're on. Um, here's the question. Like dating feels very robotic. There's so many rules. You got to keep to the rules. You got to open the door. You got to, you can't call before the date to set up the date. What, and it it makes the whole dating thing very unnatural. Like, I just want to meet the girl because it's so robotic. The whole thing. What rules could you break to make it less robotic? (laughs) That's a great question. Somebody once sent me a joke. I don't know, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a Bakram joke, but it was a good one. Somebody once said, you know, when you see a guy holding open the door for a woman, it's one of two things. Either it's a new wife or it's a new car. The question I want to ask you is, I see most of the rules really just as formal um, boundaries and structures to be able to protect the dignity of people. But I think once you're feeling more comfortable with each other, you know, after one, two, three dates, you know, a lot of people stop using the shatchan, you know, you exchange telephone numbers, then really you're on your own. I mean, we always want to conform to the rules of decency and respect <laughs> and avas Yisrael and covered habrius. Those are rules that are the, the, the baseline of civilization. You know, to respect somebody's feelings, to show empathy. Um, it's very important for boys. I wouldn't call this a rule. I would just call this, you know, decency, empathy. A boy, a girl told me, you know, a boy dropped her off. It was, it was, it was a, somewhat of a dangerous neighborhood, and he just drove away. You don't do that, my dear Bachram. I'm not blaming you. You grew up in yeshiva in a dormitory with other boys, you know. You drop off the Bachram and you say, have a good day. If you have to jump in the lake, jump in the lake. But when you're dropping off a girl, 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, 1 o'clock in the morning, or whatever, right? You walk her to the door of her home. If she's not comfortable with that, you open the window and you stay there until she gets into the house. These are not rules that <laughs> cause conformity. These are rules simply to show menschlichkeit. This is, this is basic menschlichkeit. It's, it's at night. She's a girl. She's vulnerable. So those are rules you never want to disregard, not during dating, and hopefully not during engagement and marriage. You always want to display that. But if, yeah, if you're talking about some rules that are keeping both of you uptight, 
at some point, you know, melt the ice and you want to open each other up to deeper, more vulnerable, more authentic conversation because without that, you're not going to get anywhere. So it's, it's, it's up to both of you, you know, to jump into the, jump into the water together. Brought up the at the end of the date whether you leave the car or walk her to the house. You said if she's com- how do you figure out if she's comfortable? You ask her like. Of course, of course, you you can ask her. You can say, you know, I would like to walk you to your home or walk you to your apartment. Are you fine with that? She may say thank you and blush. She may say no need, but that means you should go. <laughs> no need means you should go. If she says no, no, please, you know, there's there's you know there's people in the hallway. I would rather not. Okay, so you say I'm going to wait here. The window is open, and of course you wait till the key is in the doorknob, the door is open, and she's on the other side. So these are these are not rules, you know, to keep people uptight. These are, they're called rules of engagement. It's called Hilchais Derech Eretz, relationships, the basics of relationships. There's so many more questions, trying to cover ground. There's still also a few more live ones, but anybody wants to ask live, please text me now so we, could, uh, we can get to it. Um, the question is like this. I feel incredibly pressured to have my career and financial vision clear before I am confident to date. I was raised with parents that were always tied financially, and I feel if I put myself in the right situation beforehand, I'll be more comfortable. What would be a healthy perspective? Okay. good, Very, very good question. Good questions, guys. And the answer to your question is, I don't want to mention the word trauma again. But the fact is that people who grow up in homes where parents are financially stressed out, they are often stressed out about money, right, Rebusher? You know, if your father freaked out every time you bought something or your mother bought something, it's going to create triggers in you for many, many years. I know somebody whose parents were always stressed. They had money, but they were still stressed out about money. You know, that's a chiddush. You have money, you're still stressed about money because it's not about the money. It's about the stress. <laughs> and, and this person, every time they buy, they buy an extra piece of chicken, they're stressed. Every time they have to buy shoes, they have money, but they're still stressed. So it's important, first of all, to acknowledge that and have compassion for that experience. And really, I would say that in this issue, you know, there's what's called uh, the derech ha'olam. Derech ha'olam means the way of the world, and I don't mean the secular world. I mean the way of, of the Torah world. And that is, of course, it's important to be responsible. And it's important to uh, support our wife and support our children. The Mechilta says, It's a mitzvah to work and support our families. And that's our obligation in the Ksuva. And the fact that you're conscientious and you're responsible and you're thinking about that, that's wonderful. But don't allow it to hinder you, to paralyze you, to make you meshuga, to make you stressed out, to make you overwhelmed. Baruch Hashem, even if you're dating after you get engaged, there's still time to the wedding. And after the wedding, till the family grows, there's a few years. So allow yourself breathing space. This is not a reason to stop everything and say, I'm not going to get married until I'm secure. I once met somebody, a couple. They were in their late 30s. And they spoke to me about how much they would like to have a child. So I said, so why don't you work on it? So she told me, I'm now climbing the ladder to career. When I get to the top of the ladder, then I'm going to have a child. And I told her, I said, you know, the clock ticks. And unfortunately, you may have regrets. But people often get so overwhelmed with their financial situation that they lose the bigger picture. So yes, it's good to be responsible. 
but let it not become an overwhelming source of anxiety and stress. You'll do what you have to do, and you'll have atzlocha, you'll do what you do, but I don't think you should, uh, because of that, stop and hold back on everything. Here's a question from a 22-year-old who would like to start dating. My parents tell me that I'm not ready. I feel I am, and I've told my parents many times, but it looks like we're not on the same page. My parents think I'm not ready to date. I think I am. We're simply not on the same page. That's a great question. Now, for me to answer that question, I have to ask another question. What type of relationship do you have with your parents? Do your parents know you? Do you have open conversations with your parents? Why do your parents say you're not ready? Is it something that resonates? Are your parents out for lunch? Are your parents aware of something that you're not acknowledging? I don't know the answer to these questions, so it's so hard. I do act sometimes like a little baby fighting with my siblings, but I don't think it's going to happen after I go out. Okay, yeah, I hope you won't be fighting on the dates. You try to delay the fighting to to the latest stage. Hopefully you could eliminate it. But, but so do your parents don't understand that? I mean, this is really a conversation that you have to have with your parents. If there's mamish no, no way to negotiate in something and your parents are healthy, normal people and they care about you and they love you, maybe an option is to go to a third person, maybe somebody who knows you, who knows them, maybe a, a rabbi who's wise and trusted and a confidant and experienced, maybe a therapist in the community, maybe somebody else. But maybe it's good to get another perspective, somebody who's a little more objective, to be able to make shalom bias between you and your parents. Okay. Let's go to the next question over there, okay? It's a common question, but it's two questions. I'm just going to combine it, okay? I've gone out with a good girl and everything went fine. I just can't make a decision. I don't know why yes or why no. I'm having trouble making decisions to continue and give a yes or, or, to, give a, or to give a no. And, the, and he writes, the reason why I have an issue to say yes is because like you said before, the more I date her, the more I'm going to have a harder time dropping. Right. Okay. So, a few. A f- I would just give you a few pieces of advice. The first thing is, it's so important to be able to have somebody with whom you can process everything that is happening. It's great if you can do it with your parents, but you may not be able to do it with your parents for whatever reason. Maybe one of your parents, maybe both of your parents. But you have to have somebody. Maybe a teacher. Maybe a rabbi, a rebbe, a rav, a rosh yeshiva, a mashpia, a therapist, a coach, an older person. But somebody who is not just your age, you know, and uh, inexperienced. Somebody with, who has das, who has maturity, who has experience, who cares for you as empathy. Very important just to process everything. What are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are you experiencing? And don't ignore things, even small things. Don't say, "Eh, that was nothing. No, bring it up. If it's nothing, it's nothing. Sometimes people ignore little things, but it turns out those little things are big things. So, you know, talk it over. The Pasuk says, There is is worry, there's concern in a person's heart. Shlema Melech says, The Gemara says, we have to talk it out. It's a way verbalizing the verbalizing your experiences is very very important in order to process your experiencing your experiences and be able to make the right decision. That's number one. Number two, 
you have to be able to really ask yourself, do I know what I'm looking for? Am I capable of making a decision? Why am I not making a decision? Am I not making a decision because it's not what I'm looking for? Am I not making a decision because there is fear inside of me? Am I frightened of making a commitment? Is this girl a person whom I would really like to marry in terms of describing her qualities objectively? These are the type of traits, dispositions, midas, your shamayim, values, characteristics, looks that are appealing to me, that are meaningful to me, that are attractive to me. So what is it? Or are there some? Or maybe I'm not afraid. I'm, I'm happy to do it, but there's, there are concerns here. What are the concerns? Are they big things? Are they small things? Are they core issues? You know, we all have issues in life that are really, really important to us. These are core issues that are non-negotiable for me. Are these non-negotiable issues or maybe non-negotiable? These are all questions that you have to answer. And you may not be able to answer them all by yourself. You may need the feedback, the help, the assistance, the reassurance of somebody else. You know, I and nobody else can answer these questions for you. But when you answer these questions, hopefully you can make a decision whether to continue, whether not to continue. And then... If it's right, if it's right, and if it's wrong, you'll be able to say in a very respectful and kind way, you know, I really don't think this is going to work out between us. Okay. Um, This is from a 27-year-old. I'm 27 now and have gone out with many girls. Doing this for many years and I'm basically burnt out. What chizik can Rabbi Wawa give me? Yeah, it's hard. You're 27, you've gone out with so many, so many girls, and you're just burnt out. You know, you feel that the battery is, uh, the battery is dying. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not easy, it's difficult, and I'm sorry. But I want to share something that I think could be helpful. And I say again, the words that the Mishnah chooses. This is the only Mishnah we have about dates. That's why it's such an important Mishnah we talk about dating. Tainas dav chavavam at beis, the end of the fourth Pedic of Tainas. The girl tells the boy, Bachur sana e If you want to find the right girl, you first have to lift up your eyes. And I think it's so important to realize that life and what happens to us in life is not a mistake. The famous Rashi in, in, in Rashi says in Rosh Hashanah that Kol every event that happens with a person is Bigzeras Melech is a direct a direct under the direct providence Hashgacha Pratis of the Rebbein Shalom. In other words, it's part of your soul's mission. Why your neshama has to go through all these journeys and all these dates until it finds its soulmate. I don't know. Every soul has its own shlichus. Mardukai tells Esther, Why did you, from all the Beis Yaakov girls, Esther was valedictorian of Beis Yaakov, by Sruchel, by Surah, Benoistzian, by Srifke, Anave, and Shalamit, and Bruria. She was the valedictorian of all of them. And she ends up with this Persian shikiragoyach ha-shvedish. I don't know, but there's a plan, there's a mission for every person. And the worst thing you can do is give up on yourself and surrender to despair 
Every single person sitting here in this room with us, every person who's going to watch this, has gone through many experiences in life. Not all of them were comfortable. Sometimes they're difficult. What we could say is me a day, I don't know why. But what I do know is that somehow this is a journey that your soul needs to take in order for it to be able to fulfill its shlichus in this world. Maybe certain things you have to learn. Maybe certain things these girls have to learn from you. Think about that. You never know. The Baal Shem Tev said that a soul comes down for 70, 80 years to do a favor for one Jew, physically or spiritually. Maybe there is something that you gave one of these girls that you dated, and that's part of why your neshama came down to the world. Maybe it was a compliment. Maybe it was just a gesture. Maybe there was a girl whose soul you uplifted. I don't know. But what I do know is, my dearest friend, don't be a victim. Don't become a carbon. Don't look at yourself and say, here I go. My whole class is married. And we do this. We do this. I got married, one of the last ones in my class. Not the last, but one of the last. And you know, emotionally, it's hard. You go to one wedding and another wedding and another wedding, you know. And when you were 22, it was exciting. You remember the weddings were exciting, right? You remember the first weddings of the class? It's like the bar mitzvahs. You remember the first bar mitzvahs, right? It was exciting. And then, you know, like, you know, when is my turn? And it's hard. These are, these are, these are normal human emotions. But what I, what I beg of you and what I encourage you is don't become that victim. Realize that you have your path, your shlichus, your mission. Don't stop living while you're dating. It's a mistake we often make. Till I'm married, I'm not alive. I'm chatzy dead. <laughs> There's no such a thing. There's no such a thing. <laughs> you're not half dead. You're not semi-alive. You're going through You're going through a journey. I'm going to tell you a, a beautiful, beautiful vart from the Raka Chavagon. Raka Chavagon writes, Rabbi Yosef Rosen, Ela Masi Bnei Yisrael. These are the journeys. And Moshe Rabbeinu records every single journey, right? Vayisu mitochas, vayachano, vayisu, vayachano, vayisu, vayachano, vayisu. You remember those? Alosh, dofka, tochas, ram, all of them. Vayichtev Moshez, Moshez, Masael, Matzeim, Vayelam, Matzeim, Masael, Al-Pi Hashem. And he says, you know, the Torah is trying to teach us that the journey is also part of the destination. It's not just life is about the destination. When am I going to get there? And if I can avoid the traffic, and I can avoid the highway, I can avoid the exit, I can avoid the airport, I can avoid the airplane. I also don't like hanging out in airports. I also don't like driving down the highway. I want to be there already. But the fact that the Rebbeinu Shalayla made that to get from point A to point C, I have to go through point B, Point B is not a mistake. Point B is essential to my shlichus. And since I'm talking to Yeshiva Bachar, so I'm going to add a fascinating idea that Rukhachava brings in the Mishnah, Masech Tezvachim, for those of you who are coming from Brisk, or still in Brisk, you're going back to Brisk, and you're learning Masech Tezvachim. You remember the Shitta in Mishnah, there's three Shittas in the Mishnah over there about Hailacha. Hailacha means bringing the blood from the animal to the Mizbeach. And if you have a thought, if a Kayan has a thought, that he or sh- that he is going to do something with the carbon inappropriately while he shechts or while he receives the blood or while he sprinkles the blood, it disqualifies the carbon. But the Chiddush is even during Hailacha, even while he's bringing the blood to the altar. And the question is, what happens if you don't need the Hailacha? Meaning you shechted the behemoth right near the altar, so the Hailacha is not necessary. So is there pigle during Hailacha or not? So there's a big argument, and the Rekha explains, explains something very powerful, and he says, that even though Hailacha is not essential, 
because if you shechted the animal right near the altar, you didn't have to do halacha. So it's not essential, so it's not real avoida, because it's not always there. But if you shechted the behemoth further, to get to the mizbech, you have to do halacha. So halacha itself becomes an avoida. The journey itself, this is an Allah in Zvachim, the journey itself assumes the status, the chalois of a real avoida. And therefore, that, that, that the carbon could become possible then. You're now in a state of halacha. You're in a state of movement, in a state of flux. So it's often difficult, it's challenging. You have to have compassion for your emotions and, and, and embrace your emotions. And there is an element of, 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 uh, of sadness or grief. It's, there's an element of pain, let's put it that way. But hashkafically, I want you to be able to internalize the emotion that this journey is not a mistake. It's allowing you to become the person you're supposed to become, which is essential to the home that you're going to build Be'ezer Hashem and that we all look forward to celebrate with you. Okay, let's, let's go to this question. I'm dating and we are having a great time together and I really started liking this girl. I'm noticing that her mother is overly involved in her life. Her mother, yeah. Her mother and all her siblings' lives. Not in a typical way. I'm starting to feel that the mother might have some signs of mental illness that will really affect her relationship if it continues. Yeah. What do you say about something like that? Yeah, yeah. So you're afraid that your future mother-in-law may have mental illness and this can affect your relationship in the future. Very connected. She's very connected. You feel that she's controlling the girl's life a lot, I guess. You know, the, the, the... there's no way for anybody, unless a prophet, and I'm not a prophet, I'm not the son of a prophet, to be able to say, okay, leave this shidduch, or run into this shidduch. The proper approach is, this is what's called a red flag. It calls for further inquiry and investigation. A few suggestions. Number one, can you have an open conversation with her about this? This is important. What's her perspective? She grew up with this woman. If you're feeling close to her and she's feeling close to you, this is an important conversation. A girl's relationship with a mother is quite a vital ingredient in life. So can you have an open conversation with her? Number one, can you find out more about the mother? And you have to find out from people who will be honest with you guys and your family. You have to have people who are close to your family who will tell you the truth. Can we find out more about this mother? Sometimes it's not mental illness. Sometimes she's just very, very, very involved. Sometimes she may not know her boundary. Whatever, there's so many different experiences. So this is just something you want to further investigate, look into, try to see what's going on. Now, I should say, let's say she does have mental illness. Let's say she has. For you to give this diagnosis based on the impression you're getting from the girl in the dating, I don't know if that's an appropriate thing. A diagnosis is a very, very serious thing, especially when it comes to mental illness, where the, where the, di- where, where, where the research is still nebulous. So it's just very, very important, you know, to, that a diagnosis comes with a lot of, a lot of maturity and a lot of research and a lot of responsibility. But even say, you know that she has mental illness. You know. Does that mean for sure that you have to dismiss your shidduch? No. Maybe yes, but maybe not. Maybe this girl is a much better person because of it. This girl may be an exceptional, exceptional person. She may be refined. She may have had to endure some difficult moments in life that really made her into an extraordinary gem, and you may be lucky to be with her. Or, chas v'shalem, it could have had other consequences. My point is, let's take a deep breath and find out more. 
before we reach conclusions. And the most important thing is you have to see how it's actually impacting this girl now and in the future by connecting to her and having conversations with her. Excellent. Somebody just texted and let's read this one. Baruch Hashem, I have a very good relationship with my parents. I became more from in yeshiva and I'm holding hashkafali in a different place than my parents. How do I navigate between asking my Rebbe for advice or my parents who want the best for me but not fully understanding the hashkafa aspect to it? Yeah, I'm going to answer this question in a moment, but I just want to add, because somebody just wrote to me, how do you give such an answer? Mental illness is hereditary. I just want to say one thing, one second, Rabbi, before we go into that. We got quite a few questions on mental illness. We, I want to get into that shortly. So, okay. And, you know, this is a very big subject, and there's no... Yes, yes, yes. We'll get into it. I don't want to jump onto that right now, but is that okay? Okay. So so this 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 boy became more religious than his parents. So what's the He's issue? from... More from, okay. And he's holding it in a different place, and his parents are, are you know, let's use the word more modern or more whatever, you know what I mean? Okay, and listen. Your parents... Between his Rebbe and his parents. <laughs> Sometimes parents come to me and they say, oy, 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 my kid went there to Israel, he became so from. And I look at them and I say, you know, if your kid's got to rebel, Baruch Hashem, that this is the rebellion. Baruch Hashem. So your parents should be very thankful because the fact is, even from a uh, human and uh, social point of view, today, Yerushamayim, following Shulchan Aruch, living a life of Yerushamayim, is not just good for Elam Haba. It's also very good for Elam Haza in terms of loyalty, in terms of boundaries, in terms of respect, in terms of midistavis. I'm not saying... Every from person has a good marriage. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that a life that is dedicated to Torah mitzvahs is one that is extremely conducive to be able to cultivate a beautiful and beautiful marriage. In terms of your parents, I think it's important to remember two things. First of all, always respect your father and mother, always. And remember, they're the ones who brought you to the world. They're the ones who raised you. Furthermore, they probably get credit for the fact that you had the courage to be able to decide to move your Yiddishkeit, to get more involved in your Yiddishkeit. They probably get part of the credit for that too. Just remember that. I'm not sure, but so it says in Svarim, even the comes from the So it's important to always show respect to your parents. But it's also important to know who you are and what your priorities are. Does aim? I have to respect my father and mother, but if my father tells me, don't go to that yeshiva, I don't want you learning in that yeshiva, but I want to go to that yeshiva, what's the halacha? I go to that yeshiva. And if my father says, I don't want you marrying this girl, when it comes to kibbud aim, you don't have to listen to your father and mother because this is your life. You may want to listen to your father and mother because your father may know something about you. But you don't have to. So the point is, don't see it as a contradiction. Your parents are forever your parents. Love them. Be close to them. Fabring with them. Enjoy life with them. Remember how much they love you. And remember, there's very few people who are going to take a bullet for you. Hopefully nobody will ever have to, but there's very few people who will take a bullet for you. And one of them is probably your mother and your father. So it's always important to have that perspective. And yet in a very respectful way, you can explain to your parents when it's necessary who you are, what you believe in, what type of life you want to build for yourself, what type of home you want to create.
Don't don't make that choice of either or. It shouldn't. It should, very seldom do we have to make that choice. We always want to, you know, try to be able to balance both components. Before Menachem goes, Menachem, I just want to mention one thing. After last year, I just want to mention that I got also a few calls on mental health a little bit. And there's, you know, there's organizations that deal with it, that don't deal with it. Mental health is a very broad topic. And there's very. a lot of different levels. And, uh, I, I, you know, somebody called me up and said, you know, there's a lot of people that should be on medication. They don't take medication because they don't want to have a label of medication. And then they start dating. And then, oh, and then the people that are actually taking the chryas and going to the yes, therapist and, yes, the yes. and getting the basic help they need, they, they're, they're, they should get married as long as they're cleared and as long as, you know, people have that. But I just want to put that out there. We'll get more into it a little bit, but let's. Okay. I just want to disclaimer. As so Rabbi says, I'm not a therapist. I'm not of this. I'm not of that. Well, Rabbi after another year or two of these sessions, you can get your degree. I'm a client. Okay. <laughs> you can get a degree as a client, maybe. Certified. Now I'm I said I said okay to dating a girl who is on antidepressants. My friends and family are warning me to stay f- far away from, from people who take any kind of medication. I don't know, and I, f- um, I don't know how I feel about it, and definitely don't want to get myself into a big mess. But maybe that's not the case. Excellent question. The girl is on antidepressants. The family's warning him about it. He's not sure. He doesn't want to get into a mess. Maybe it's not an issue. And the answer only the, the and the right answer to that question is that I'm not the person to give an answer to that question. What has to, what should be done is if you were my best friend, I would tell you a few things. First of all, it's so important for you to speak to her doctor. Ask her permission. You want to be able to have you, maybe your mother, your father, maybe you, somebody else, to have an open and frank conversation with a doctor to understand what's going on. Number one. Number two, I would consult another doctor who's not involved, a Rafa Yedid, another doctor, who is a friend of the family who cares for you, to find out more about what she's going through. Is there a diagnosis? What are the symptoms? What are the experiences of her life? Have an open conversation with her. Try to investigate much more so that you should be able to make a sober decision. You want to be able to make a decision from a place of power and strength and confidence and sobriety. Not from a place of fear and not from a place of rumors and not from a place of disinformation. Find out all the facts, whatever we know. We don't know everything, but whatever we know, we want to find out. It's important for her to be able to be honest with you and you should be able to feel that. How is she dealing with that? What, type, what, what, does, what does her past look like? What does her life look like now? And the more information you have, the more resources you'll be able to have, make a real decision. You may say, you know what? This girl is an unbelievable person. And maybe because of her pain, and maybe because of the anxiety or the other challenges she experienced, her soul, her neshama is just something that is so deep and so beautiful. You know, let's, let's be very, very honest. And that is, that some of the greatest heroes and some of the greatest souls of the Jewish people are those who endure tremendous internal suffering. Because the empathy that they have, the courage that they have, the amunah that they have, the spirituality that they have, you're not going to find in other people. They're sometimes the greatest of the great. On the other hand, 
There is a challenge here. There is a serious challenge here. And both sides have to be taken into consideration. So you, you'll be able to make a sober decision. You say, yes, she's an antidepressant. Yes, she has had this challenge, but I see how she's dealing with it. I see how she's handling it. And you know what? This is what I want. I love her. I'm crazy about this person. Or you'll say, no, there's many risks. Maybe there's different things that I have to be afraid of. Find out everything. And it's also extremely important. This, this is a very important idea. When it comes to mental illness, I'm not saying this as a doctor, I'm just saying this as a person who deals with people quite frequently and deals with a lot of therapists and psychiatrists and psychologists and rabbis. There's a difference between somebody who takes accountability and somebody who doesn't take accountability. If I'm suffering from a mental illness or from another trauma that's really affecting me, but I'm taking accountability, I acknowledge that this is my struggle. I show up to my struggle every day. I don't blame the world. I don't blame other people. And I do what I have to do, whatever it is, whether it's my exercise, whether it's my yoga, my Pilates, my mindfulness, my meditation, my davening, my jogging, my learning, my journals, my dancing, my swimming, whatever it is I have to do. And I do it and I do it consistently and I'm committed to it. Sometimes these are the greatest people you will ever meet on the planet Earth. It's not about perfection. All of us have challenges. It's really about taking responsibility, taking accountability. So that is also a, a key, key issue here. Well, I just want to jump on this question. Let me just send in. I want to go back to the mental health. There's a lot of questions on that. Okay. I feel like because I have certain things on my record, example, I have a history from high school. I've had a broken engagement. Other examples could be I've also had divorced parents, which close circle, family, friends, or babe, know that this built me into the person I am today. So even though now I come across as a serious budding Talmud Chacham with a gishmak, broad personality, and get read what are seemingly good ideas, I get a lot of no's with no other side, seemingly not having done a lot of research. What could I do as far as established wise? A and B, is there incentive or foreign assistance? Basically, I'm just going to read a question. Because of where he came from, he had his mistakes, and he grew himself, and he built himself. He's getting a lot of no's because of his history or because of his peckle of what happened then. So A, what could he do stabless-wise? And B, is, the, is that a full system that we're judging based on not who he is? Right. The answer to your question, both points, is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to discuss the second question first. Is this a flawed system? There are flaws in the system. It may be, it may not be. In other words, the fact that people are concerned if they hear about certain events that happened, that's a normal thing. You would also be. If you needed your child to date, right, and you would hear about a girl or a boy who has some, I don't know about your history, but assuming that there were some challenges there that you went through, it's worth investigating. It's worth finding out, right? If you hear about a boy or a girl from 16 to 21, they were involved in X, Y, Z, I would want to know their information. I think it's wrong to make a conclusion based on hearing a story without hearing the aftermath. Because sometimes, as we know, the Gemara says, 
right? But Makam Shabali Chuvaim, them ain't Sadik and Wurmi Chailam Lamet, right? Where a Balchuva stands, even the greatest Sadik can stand, that's an opinion in Brachas Lamadalan, and that's what the Rambam Paskins and Hilchis Chuva Peregimel, even though there's another opinion. The point is to make a conclusion based on somebody's past event, based on a past event without knowing any information about what had transpired. I think is is problematic, but just looking into things that happen, I don't think is problematic. I think it's being sober and being honest and trying to know trying to know the facts. So I think that distinction that distinction is important. Number one, in terms of your own life, I would say to you, my dear friend, my dear brother, even though I don't know you personally, but I would say, you need a special shidduch that God is preparing for you because since you have been through a lot and you went through different experiences and you made mistakes and you rebounded from failure and you experienced a divorce in your own home and you really are a self-made man. So you need a special girl. You need a girl who has similar qualities and who will really be able to appreciate you. So all the no's that you're getting may be very, very good because you actually need a girl who will be able to tune into your depth. You must have a depth and a maturity to you that is unique because of everything you went through. I don't know all the details, but it sounds like there's quite a story there. So you need a person who will really appreciate you. So probably you should appreciate many of the no's that you're getting because you know somebody who cannot appreciate what you did to your life and how you reinvented yourself doesn't really deserve you. What should your hishtadlus be? Your hishtadlus should be to be you. <laughs> you be you. Live life to the fullest. Remember that God loves you unconditionally and believes in you and takes pride. God loves you the way you are, but takes pride in what you can be and live up to that person. You become that person that you can be. Continue to grow. Continue to grow in your Torah in your Avodah Hashem, in your Gemilas Chasadim, in your Yiddishkeit, continue to grow. And you know what? Good people will take note, and good girls will take note, and uh, I think good things will happen. Okay, this is the, this is the question that uh, somebody came over to me personally today to ask for them. General okay. medication question. For someone that's on standard antidepressants or anti-anxiety, when is the proper time, halachically or in general, to tell the other side, A, B, should I tell Shatchanim that I have this? And then to mix into that also, what about the difference between mental health versus physical health condition or medication on this topic? For example, somebody I know, his daughter had diabetes, and they didn't say anything until the third date. And once they liked each other, said, by the way, I take insulin, I have diabetes. You know. well, it's, a, it's a general medication slash, and is there a difference between medica- mental medication versus physical ailments that people might have? Excellent question, excellent question. When do you reveal about medication? What about mental health? What about a physical illness, ailment, etc.? So before coronavirus, I was at a Nefesh conference, which is a conference of many uh, religious Jewish therapists from the tri-state area. And we were there a whole Shabbos with the Rav of Gvul Yaivitz, my dear senior colleague, Haragon Reb David Cohen Schlitter. And he fielded many questions. And he proposed, with the sources that he gave, Reb David Kayan, he proposed that basically these, these types of things should be communicated after three or after four dates. Which means you could choose to say everything at the onset. You could choose. That's a choice people make, which, which, is, which is a great choice. 
However, he explained that sometimes it's an automatic no, you know? It's an automatic no. On the other hand, to wait till you're engaged is gnevas das, it's deceiving somebody. And even deep into the dates, it becomes so hard. So therefore, normally, he said, the number is approximately, I think he said three or four dates, where there is some, you know, there's some relationship, there's some connection, there's some trust. You know, you've gone out at this time, for, for three, four times there's trust. And then now, during the date, you could explain what you're going through, what you're experiencing, what you're enduring. And then the person has a choice to make a decision. They can either say it's not for us, they may want to do more investigation, and so forth. I would say that some things, especially things that are obviously, you know, you know, I think that things that are connected, you know, certain medical conditions, you may want to share right away, you know, if it's like a certain medical condition. But again, I don't know that there's one rule around here. You may want to discuss your particular case with, with a Paisik, with a Rav, a Meira who's experienced in this area. But the general rule is, you know, just to divulge information to everybody, I don't see the point in it. You want to do things with Seichel. To wait till after you're engaged or married is deceptive. It's wrong. You can't go into a Shidduch fooling a girl or fooling a boy. It's just, just not right. They have to know, you know, what what they're what they're getting involved with, and the point, and, and especially if there's a mental challenge, or and of course a medical challenge, and of course medication, and you also have the right and the duty to contextualize it, you know, put it in perspective. You know, if you're taking medication, maybe for many years for anxiety, you may want to tell the girl, "I have anxiety. Let me tell you about it." And before you get alarmed, you know, you could talk to my therapist, and you may find out. That this guy, you know, is, is amazing. You know, he's functional, he's wonderful, he's incredible, he's empathetic. So I would not, as I said, don't get alarmed. Make a sober decision based on facts, based on data. You could say no. If you want to say no, you could say no. But let the no come from a place of strength and empowerment. And also, not from the delusion that we are the perfect family and we don't connect to people who are not perfect. From my little experience in life, the only people who I know that are perfect are the people I don't know. The only marriages I know that are perfect are the marriages I don't know. Sometimes the difference between families is not if they're perfect or not perfect. It's just if they deal with it or they just put it under the rug. Sometimes the perfect families, you know, God bless us when their demons come out because they have been under the rug for a long time. So just let's remember that in humility. None of us are perfect. We have to be sensitive, empathetic, you know, labeling people. Our family is the perfect mashacha. This family is not for us. Maybe this shidduch is not a good shidduch, fine. But that decision should come from humility, from strength, from a place of empathy, from deep awareness and introspection. Not from just external judgmentalism and dismissing somebody because they don't fit exactly into the model that maybe challenges me, even though this may be an exceptional shidduch for your boy and girl, and it's exactly what they need. Okay. After spending much time with a girl, and then she dumps me, what should I do to help myself manage with the rejection? How do Uh, I stop thinking about the girl who I thought would be my wife? How do we deal emotionally with rejection? I thought she's going to be my wife... I'm crying night after night, the pillowcase is wet. 
And uh, as Sabacha once told me, I don't have to wash Nagel Vasser in the morning. The tears are the Nagel Vasser. And you know what? This can take a while. If, if, if you really cherished her and you felt the connection to her and a love towards her, and you felt she's going to be your wife, um, it may take a while. And it's very normal. It's normal. There was an excitement. There was a passion. And you have to respect that. There's something called grief. There's an element of grief. You know, we talk about in, in grief counseling, Rebbe Nachum, you know, they talk a lot about the different stages, right? Debda. Debda. Huh? Yes. So people deny, people bargain, people get angry, we grieve, and then we can accept. So there's different stages that you may have to experience. And one of them is simply grief over something that looked promising, something that looked so beautiful, and your dreams have been shattered. And don't deny it, don't repress it, don't feel guilty about it. It's hard, it's hard. Talk to people, talk to the Rebbeinu Shalaylam. Kihu yadi he knows you best. Talk to Hashem. and you could cry. Talk to somebody you trust, talk to a few people you trust. And this is a, re- a normal, ordinary process. You don't have to judge it. It's not, it doesn't mean you're sick. It doesn't mean you're crazy. It doesn't mean you're codependent. It doesn't mean you're obsessive. I don't know you, but it doesn't mean that. It just means a dream was shattered, and it's very hard. It's very hard. And you know what happens? The luchas are broken. And you know what happens? God says, and now we're going to make a second luchas. We're going to make the second luchas. And, and from the brokenness, you're going to be able to look at your life and say, but we're going to rebuild, <laughs> and it's going to be great, and I'm going to find somebody, and it's going to be wonderful. Do not turn yourself into the loser. Do not do that. A dream has been shattered, and that's very, very painful. It's painful, and I want to grieve. And now from that grief, I want to go to the next stage. I'm going to rebuild my second luchas. And you know what? All of us in life, some people call it the second mountain. We all have it in life. You know, we climb a mountain. It's the first mountain. We're on top of the mountain. It's amazing. Life is perfect. And then at some point, you know, we fall down from the first mountain. And then we all climb a second mountain. It's called luchas shnias. Luchas shnias. Luchas shnias don't have the innocence of luchas rishainas. But they have a depth and a maturity that is much deeper than Luchas Rishayinus. They don't teach it in yeshiva, this roller coaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, we often teach, we often teach about perfection, you know? We often teach about Shleimus. Um, I once saw, there's a beautiful word from the Maharshal. Maharshal was one of the G'dayli Achroinim, Rav of Lublin, Rav Shleim Aluria. The Chachmus Shleim, is Sefer Yamshel Shleim, Maharshal writes... Why do we break the glass under the chuppah? So usually it's, you know, for the Yerushalayim, right? But he says something very powerful, unbelievable. You know what Marshall says? He says because every marriage is like the marriage between Hashem and the Jewish people. And what happened by the marriage of Hashem and the Jewish people? The luchas broke. So we break the glass because the luchas broke, the first marriage broke. And I'm thinking, that's, that's what you're doing at a chuppah? It's like, guys, get ready for the luchas breaking. What's the point? The point is, 
that in life sometimes our dreams are shattered. You know, we fall off that first mountain. And we have to understand that when that happens, grieve, but don't surrender to despair. Because you're going to sculpture two new tablets. And you're always going to have place in your aron for the shivrei luchas. There's always place for that sense of brokenness, disappointment. But you're going to be able to sculpture two new luchas. Don't worry. Rabbi, we have two questions over here. I want to combine them. Uh, the similar, but combining them anyway, okay? Sure. So tell me if we can answer them together or it's two separate things. It's attraction slash chemistry. So the first question is, I went out five times with a great girl. She's smart. She's deep. I love the conversations. The one issue I'm having with her, I'm not finding her physically attractive. Is this a reason to stop dating her or to continue to see if she grows on, on me, risking the fact that if I don't get engaged to her, it will break her heart up more? That's question A. Question B, the girl I'm dating is a very good girl all around. She has all the traits I'm looking for, and she's a very nice looking, but I just don't feel any chemistry. Should I wait? It will come, or just not a shit for me? There's no, not physical, but there's no, like, connection. A lot of guys go out and they go, I went out to the girl, she's good, but I just don't feel anything. Right. Okay, beautiful questions. I think the answer to your first question is, it seems to me that if there's so many things about this girl that you really appreciate and cherish, and in terms of her values and her perspectives and her priorities, you really feel that this is a good shidduch, I think it's worth investing more time. It's important that you should like what the girl looks like. You know, there should be an attraction, there should be an emotional chemistry, an emotional connection. At least to some, at least to some level, uh, when people tell a bacher, uh, you know, you don't have to be attracted at all. It's all going to happen later. I think you have to be very, very careful with such advice, especially today. So, I, but I think it's, I, I, I think it's, a, it seems to me from what you're saying that it's advisable to invest more. And you know, sometimes attraction comes with more vulnerability. Physical attraction comes with more vulnerability. So maybe it's time to take the conversations to the next level. Maybe it's time to open up a little more, to encourage her to open up. You know, maybe it's time to spill the beans to be able to have real, raw, honest, vulnerable conversations about yourself, about your, your, your challenges, your fears, your insecurities, and encourage her. Because very often when we become raw with each other, a lot of other things happen, including attraction. So at this point, from, from all the beautiful descriptions you're describing, I don't think I would just stop it, you know, continue. If there's mamish no attraction whatsoever, at some point you may, um, you may have to stop it. And yet there's always the risk of, of, of breaking a person's heart. It starts hard. But remember, I told you, I said in the beginning, if, if, if you're not attracted to her, you're doing her a favor by saying no. Not only doing yourself a favor, she doesn't deserve to be married to a husband who's not attracted to her. So you'll be breaking your heart much more if you get married to her, to a person you're not attracted to. Just always remember that. We're not saying no because we're narcissistic, selfish, undomesticated male beasts. That's not what no is about. No is about because providence does not think that we should be married to each other, at least from our experience and perspective, which is the best we can do. In terms of the second question, she's a great girl on paper, but your mamish not feeling any chemistry I think it's important to feel chemistry. 
It's important to have a mashichas halev. It's, it's important to feel an emotional chemistry. It's important to feel a general chemistry. But, and I would continue it. You know, again, if everything is so good on paper, you know, maybe there's something holding you back. Ask yourself. Sometimes it's not about the girl. Am I overwhelmed? Am I nervous? Am I anxious? Am I afraid of relationships? Am I afraid of emoting? Do you have a problem with emotions generally? Let me ask you a question. Forget about this girl. Do you know how to emote? Do you know how to say, I love you? Are you close with your parents? Are you close with your siblings? Do you have close friends? Are your emotions turned off? If your emotions are turned off, it's nothing about the girl. <laughs> Sometimes the faucet of our emotions is turned off. That's a very internal journey. That's going to be with any girl. She could be the best girl in the world. So instead of looking at her, you have to look at yourself. Again, you know, for this you got to lift up your eyes to God and say, God, give me love. God, open my heart. Psach libi. Psach libi. Open my heart. Shifchi chamayim libech noichech p'nei Hashem. Lafab in the hearts. So these are important questions you have to ask yourself. Or maybe it's not about you. Maybe there's simply no chemistry. So I would, I would, I would pursue it longer. I would try to be more open, more honest with each other. You know, dig a little deeper. And you'll see, sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes time, you know, sometimes people are more in, uh, intellectual. Some people are more introverted. Sometimes you also need her to come out a little bit. You know, you have to feel her energy. Are you feeling her energy? Sometimes girls are very, very shy, and she's not letting you feel her grace, her electricity. Maybe when you'll feel her electricity, a lot of interesting things will happen. So I hope you get what I'm saying. Let's, let's pursue all these options. I'm trying to condense questions because we have so many over here. I have another one here. Two, okay? Yes. It's a similar question. I was reading two versions of it. Some of my friends have gotten married, and the group is, and we have a group that are not married. We're having a good time. We're partying. We're traveling. We're living up. The married ones seem to be stuck at home and not having so much fun. I want to get married, but I also feel like I'm going to lose my chevra. That's the first question. Second question is, how do you adjust your mindset from going from a single guy and coming and going to being tied down to a girl. Just the thought of it is getting me nervous. Real Bachrisha questions. Let's get real. Real Bachrisha questions, huh? Okay. He says he's having fun with all the bachelors and he feels bad for all of his friends who are married. They're Nabach prisoners in their own home. And just the thought of getting married already is giving him anxiety. That's awesome. He wants to be the, the second to last one to get married. Right, right, right. You know, uh, there's an old bad joke, you know, about this fellow. You know, it's Wednesday night, and uh, it's, he comes home, 6 o'clock, 6.30, and suddenly there's a bell rings. His wife says, who is that? He says, I don't know, let's see. Opens the door, and Yankel is there. Yankel is an alta bocher. She says, hi, how are you? Yankel says, oh, your husband invited me for dinner tonight. My husband invited you for dinner? Yes, yes. She calls, you know, when you go like this, could you come to the back room? You know what this means, right? I have to speak to you for a minute, right? You feel like you're in third grade, you know, frask, frask. And she calls him and she says, I don't understand you. You invite somebody to dinner tonight. Nobody's here. Nobody, no, the cleaning lady wasn't here. I don't have any food. The laundry wasn't done. The house is a mess. The house is crazy. How dare you invite? I don't understand you. She says, why would you do this? And he says... It's very simple. The poor guy is thinking of getting married. So I wanted to give him some advice. Um, So that's an old cynical joke. But what I'm going to say to you is, 
is as follows. There's no question that marriage <laughs> is about commitment. And the life of a bacher comes to an end with marriage. There's no question about that. And there's no question that it's frustrating. Acknowledge these are normal emotions. You're not the only one. Not everybody feels it, but a lot of people feel it. It's frustrating. Especially if you're a free spirit and you're a bohemian and you like to be all over the place and you don't like anybody controlling your schedule (laughs) and you like waking up whenever you wake up. It's hard. Everything is going to change. But here's the key. The key issue is that the creator of the world has declared in Parshas Bereshis, Loi toi veyois Adam levada. It's not good for Adam to be levada. In fact, it's the first thing about which the Torah says, the words loy toif, it's not good. You would think the first thing that the Torah says is not good is murder, idolatry, adultery. No. The first thing the Torah says is loy toif is to be alone. To use psychological mental health terms, since this is about getting real, the antithesis to addiction is not recovery. The antithesis to addiction is connection. Not sobriety, but connection. It's about connection, and there's no connection like the connection in marriage. When we feel frustrated by these commitments, we have to realize that our spouses anchor us. From a house, they create a home, and from one person... They create a larger self. And it's the ultimate purpose of creation for the husband to be able to be there for the spouse, to be able to be there for a spouse, to give her love, to give her attention, to give her compassion, to give her validation, to give her ava, to give her commitment, to give her loyalty. And what he receives in return is the gift of infinity. It's like the Marshall in Kabbalah, femininity is called earth. Eretz is malchus, femininity. You take a seed and you put it in the earth. The seed, the earth absorbs the seed. What does the earth do with the seed? The earth doesn't give you two seeds. The earth doesn't give you ten seeds. The earth doesn't give you a hundred seeds. The earth transforms the seed into a tree that lives on for generations and generations. That's what a wife does. You're the mashpia, you plant a seed, you have to initiate, you have to take responsibility, you have to give, you have to be the giver, the mashpia. And then your wife, the recipient, the eretz, hakal hoyim in the offer, everything comes from the offer, absorbs it, and what she gives you back is infinitely more than what you have given her. Is it a sacrifice? Yes. Is it a commitment? Yes. Can it be frustrating? Yes. Is it worth it? The creator of the world thought so. This is a, this is from a sixteen-year-old, uh, twenty-six-year-old successful um, working guy, and he has his own business. And he says, "He, I'm Kavei Itim. Uh, I drive a nice car, travel a lot. I feel I'm attracted to the girls more from my financial situation than who I am in the inside, who I'm really." I don't understand the question. Because the girls are attracted to him. Oh, because are. of his money. The girls are attracted to you because of your money, not because of who you are. 
Okay, well, <laughs> you obviously want to marry a girl who likes you a little more than your money. You know the guy who said the other day, he says, we got divorced, a guy told me I got divorced because of religion. I said, religion? You're an atheist. You're an atheist. He says, no, no, no. My wife worships money and I don't have any of it. The bottom line is as follows. Obviously, you, we need, you need to find somebody who may appreciate the fact that you have money, Baruch Hashem, nothing wrong with appreciating money, but somebody who really appreciates your qualities and, uh, and appreciates you as a person. Uh, if, if the key issue, if your whole value is the money that you have, how deep is the relationship? I mean, it's very nice to be married to somebody who has money. We should all be married to people who have money. <laughs> it's wonderful. But if that's the essence of the relationship, I mean... That means I'm not connected to you. I, I could marry your bank account. Just give well, me. I think account. I think the crux of the question is because he's a guy who didn't get married. He went to work and he and he successfully has his own business. He's he's the girls are running and attracted to him. Right. He he's attracting the crowd because of his. Right. I get it. You're you're attracting those people, but I am sure from all of the girls who are also a little older, there are some there are certainly many quality people who want a relationship with a person, not just a relationship with a wallet. I am certain about that. So maybe you need a different shatchen. I don't know, maybe you need to find out some, maybe you have to use some other connections. But I'm sure there's people, I mean, I can't imagine that, you know, that every person is just looking for your money. I'm sure there are, I mean, ordinary women, at least whom I know, want a real relationship. Women were, were, were made to have relationships. So it's, uh, you know, there's some who are maybe very superficial, but there's certainly people who, who, are, looking, who are looking for that, are looking for that connection. You know, I also want to say, I want to say that uh, I was, uh, somebody told this to me the other day, if you look at Forbes 500 list, most of the people, most of the wealthiest people, it's interesting, are married. So I asked a billionaire whom I know, why is it? Why is it? And he said, it's very simple, because it's a litmus test for consistency for responsibility, for stability, for the fact that you have an anchor, and it translates in how you run a business, and that's why you'll see in the Forbes 500 list, most people who run the biggest companies in the world are the most successful are married people. And I found that to be very interesting. So I also want to tell the Bacher, you know... And they get divorced, and usually have a big settlement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, listen, you know, this divorce is very, very rampant, especially in the secular world today, even in the religious world, it's pretty rampant. But the point is that I think when it says, it's not just the Gzairis HaKosov. It's because ultimately we were meant to develop roots and to take root and to become anchored and to build something that's larger than ourselves. You know, we could, we all love parting and it's, it's Geschmack and it's fun. You go from one Simchanazim or one Fabreng and the other one comes, it's another comes, it's another. This, this, you know, it's, it's fun, it's Geschmack, but nothing larger than you develops. It's precisely when we limit ourselves and we anchor ourselves in marriage that we become infinite. I want you to think about that. Let's take a live question. You're up. Sure. Uh, so um, I'm scared that um, once I start dating, I'm going to love the girl and I'm going to be crazy about her. And once I get married to her um, and have kids and everything, either one of our shkavas might change or I might not be attracted to her like 10 years down the road. So is that possible? And what can I do question. to that? Good question. How old are you? Um, right now I'm 17. Ha, ha, ha. Ah. He's from oh, you remember when he's you were 17? He's from huh? Waynesburg. He has another two months. He's from Waynesburg. 
He has one. He maybe has one week. Maybe the night of Dikas Chametz, he's getting engaged. Never know. Listen, my friend. I like that you're thinking like this. You know, Yosef was 17 and he had a lot of dreams, and you're 17 and you have good dreams. And let's hope your brothers uh, behave nicely towards you. What I would say to you is, you're a hundred percent right, and we all have to be aware of this. Here's the rule. Dating does not tell you who the girl is. I know we think it does. It does not. I'm st- I, there's still things I have to find out about my wife. Usher, you know your wife? It takes 25 years. Let me tell you the truth. It takes 25 years to begin to understand your wife. They say the first 100 years is a little hard. Afterwards, you usually go. Afterwards, he's... <laughs> Trust me, you can date a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, six months. You think you know the person. First of all, just from sitting in a car, even going out to eat or sitting in a lobby of a hotel, you don't know a person. Second of all, life changes people. There's loss, there's death, there's illness, chas v'shalom. There's simchas, there's birth, there's aging. People develop, people change, people go through crises, people go through blessings, transformations. Life is turbulent. So things are constantly changing. But even without that, what could we know during dates? So here's the rule. Dating is not made to be able to have an encyclopedic, thorough understanding of who this girl is or who this boy is. You know what dating is for? Mr. Lamb spoke about this in our previous session. Dating is that I know enough about you that I want to take the unexpected journey through life while holding your hand. That's what it's. I know enough about you that if there's going to be disagreements, I can disagree with you peacefully. If there's going to be issues that come up, you're the person I will be able to work through these issues with. If I'm going to have lonely and difficult days, you're the person I could share that loneliness with. If I'm going to have challenges and curveballs that come my way, you're somebody who's going to catch my balls. And conversely, you're somebody who's going to catch those curveballs and conversely. That's what you want. So yeah, you may fall in love during the dates, but the most important thing is not to fall in love, but to climb in love. There's falling in love. (laughs) Falling in love. You want to climb in love. So you could fall in love, wonderful, but you want to make sure that you know enough about this person, right? You know enough about their values, their midas, their yerushamayim, their characteristics, their disposition, that five years down the line, 10 years down the line, 25 years down the line, that personality is still going to be there. Those values are still going to be there. This is the person you want to walk with or run with through your life's journey. And by the way, and by the way, this is one of, and I, I'm going to say this even though some people don't have to hear it, but some people have to hear it. Some people think that halacha is here to spoil the fun. <laughs> I was once talking to a group of Hevra and Yeshiva, good Yeshiva, and they said, you know, why does Halacha want to spoil all the fun? The truth is, Halacha is not here to spoil the fun. Halacha is actually here to increase the fun. Halacha allows you to increase the fun, and I'll give you an example, okay? It's exactly what you just brought up. Let's say you're dating, and you're not careful with the laws of Tznias and Shemunagiyah. So what happens? A boy and a girl are excited, right? So they connect not only emotionally, but also physically. 
What happens now? There's an electricity, there's a fire, there's a passion. They often become intoxicated. And sometimes, you know what their decision to get married is based on? It's based on the physical electricity, the physical fun. And you know what they overlooked? They overlooked the personality of the other person, the inner values of the other person, the menschlichkeit of the other person, the kindness, the flexibility, the inner characteristics of the other person. And now you're right, three years down the line, you get bored, there's other women in the world, and you're like, this is not working. This is what's happening constantly. It's happening constantly. What does halacha say? When you date, focus on one thing. Of course you want to be attracted to the person's looks, it's important. But focus on the person. The goof and the neshama and the brain and the mind and the soul and the consciousness and the attitudes and the perspectives and the dispositions and the instincts and the style. Focus on the whole person because that's what's going to remain there in 5 years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years and 60 years and 80 years, Be'ez Rasha. Well, I just want to mention that he wrote, how, how will I always know that I'll be in love with this person forever? How, how will I know? I just want to mention on a separate note, I, I know quite a few people that when they got married, there was one, one person specifically I'm talking about that, that she came not from, and she started having a boyfriend who was basically completely, he was a teenage t- t- had no shaykhs to being from. And they got to know each other, and he actually became a Balshuva. Yeah, muted. He actually became a Balshuva, and he became, they got married, so they, they evened the, the, the playing field, and then as years went down the road, he became a full-fledged Balshuva. He became a Daf Yoemi Tamut Chacham, and she became even less religious. And they got divorced. Oh. So I, I just want to bring out that, you know, you get married, you date, you, like you said, you want to meet the person on a certain level. But as life changes, the person that you're married at 20 is not the person that you are at 30. Yeah. People change, but but you want to have that person to change with, or at least have the same right. to work with. Right. Sometimes people go through a midlife transformation from one extreme to another extreme. And it becomes that becomes a whole new challenge. That's a, that's a serious challenge. How many, how many couples after the 25, 30, one becomes less for them? I mean... One becomes less from, one becomes more from, yeah. Not easy, not you're, easy. You're scaring the boys over here. You're <laughs> we're not scaring the boys, we're, we're telling the boys that relationships are amazing and beautiful, but we have to be honest with ourselves and honest with the person we're dating. <laughs> That's what we're saying. We have to be honest. We have to be able to bring everything to the table. And I always tell the chavra by dating, you know, don't ignore things. In other words, if something is brought up, don't say it's nothing. If, it, if you heard it and it's bothering you, talk it over with somebody. Because And another thing, you know, I, I, know I take this with a grain of salt, but don't. Because only 1% of it, I don't mean. What you see is often what you get. Which means a lot of times people get married to the reputation, not to the person. You know, you hear about this boy or this girl and it's perfect and it's amazing. But then in the actual dates, there are troubling things, but you ignore it because on paper it made so much sense. Don't marry the reputation. Marry the person. <laughs> and sometimes what you see is exactly what you get. Everything that you were worried about, and then, eh, it's nothing, it's nothing, it's nothing. They become real problems. What you see is often what you get. Not always, but often. Uh, uh, Jacobson, I want to touch a little bit more on financial. We have two questions. I'm going to, again, try to combine because I want to cover some more ground. Okay. I'll read you two questions. The first one goes like this. 
I'm being read to a good girl from an extremely wealthy family. I'm getting pressure to go out with her, but I don't think marrying a girl who comes from such high expectations would be a good wife. She will just want me to buy her and take care of her all the time, like she's used to. Is that a real concern? Question A. Question B. I started dating a girl, and I'm seeing she has very high standards, which is fine. But seeing myself as her husband, I can't see myself keeping up with that standard. Is that an issue I should be concerned about? Nice questions. Nice questions. First of all, your first question is really demonstrative of the type of person you are. Um, you're, you're afraid of marrying a girl that comes from such money because you feel that, you know, she's spoiled <laughs> and uh, she'll make you mishiga. And the answer to that is that may be the case, but it may be exactly the opposite. Sometimes girls who grow up in such homes actually have to work on themselves and they're very refined people. We all know people who have a lot of money and they're tight mishiga. They're insecure, they're narcissistic, they're mishiga, they think the whole world revolves around them. And, you know, everybody who says good job is, oh, you want my money, you said good job, you want my money, you want my money, right? I feel bad for them. They're right with some people. There's other people who have a lot of money and they're unbelievable people. They're kind, they're generous, they're thoughtful, they're, they're, they're humble they realize, you know, it's not about them or their, their brains or their looks necessarily. And they're actually exceptional, exceptional people. And you know, we all know both of these types of people. In terms of their children, exactly, you'll have children who are entitled, who feel entitled, who feel that the whole world, you know, belongs to them and uh, etc. But you have some people who actually, they're very refined, you know. They, they grow up with, with knowing what matters, what doesn't matter. And they're not spoiled at all. So I certainly would not just write it off and dismiss it. I think it's important to find out more about the girl, you know, how she was with her friends. But find out from people who can tell you. People who will, you know, when people do research, you have to do research and ask the questions from people who are closer with your family. So they'll care to tell you the truth and be honest. I would certainly not dismiss it. The second question you asked was about, what was your second question about? uh, Questions like this. I started dating a girl. I think she has. She doesn't come from a wealthy family, but her standards, everything she's wearing, her. her oh, her standards are very, very high. Yeah. Now, so, now, again, he doesn't have a problem with it. He's okay with it. He's okay with it. He just feels the financial crisis of it. Right. Like, why do I need it? I think here again, here again, is this a conversation that you can have with her? An open conversation, not judgmental. Don't judge her, but could you be curious? Could you be inquisitive? You know. What is she looking for? What does, what, what does she want from you? This may be, and you could share with her, you know, how you feel about it and what your expectations are and what you want to see. And I think get to know her more, get to know her priorities. You know, what, what is she ready to fight for? What is she ready to sacrifice for? What means the world to her? You know, what really, what really means a lot? I spoke today to somebody uh, who called me from overseas and, and this person told me that she had a conversation with her father-in-law. And she told her father-in-law, you know, I now know the difference between you and me. <laughs> the thing you and me is, you don't put family first. I put family first. I just realized it's because of something that happened. And she said it was such a moment of clarity. He doesn't put family first. I put family first. And that makes the difference. These are conversations that are important to have. What are you ready to sacrifice for? What means the world to you? What is non-negotiable to you? What does your home need to look like? What is a Shabbos and a Yom for you? 
listen to this girl. Don't judge. You may find out, yeah, it's not for you. Or you may see that she may have high standards and she's a very elegant person. And that may be wonderful. Maybe God wants you to marry a queen. That's beautiful. Sometimes when you marry a queen, you become a king. (laughs) If you behave. I'm a Hasidic boy and all my years I was trained with this negative feeling about girls. I can't imagine talking to one. How does it work? We are not allowed to talk to girls for 20 years and now start dating, lead the conversation and be comfortable when I have no idea what I am doing. Wow, that's a beautiful question. Ah, he's such a geschmack of How old is our boy? Thank you. How old is this boy? Do we know? 18 and a half. Ben Shmoyne Asri Lechupa. Reb Oshie, remember when you were 18 and a half, what you were doing? About 45 years ago, I don't remember. <laughs> okay. I definitely wasn't having this conversation with Huawei, that's for sure. I want, I want to tell you something, my dear Bacharel. I reached out the other day to a top marriage therapist who deals with Hasidim and Litvisha and Yeshivisha and modern Orthodox. In other words, the entire demographic and scope of the Orthodox Jewish community. He deals with Satma and Vizhnitz and Ger and Babiv and Papa and Sans and Kleisenberg and Chabad, but also very Litvish, very Yeshivish and very modern. And I asked him, I said, in all your years doing marital therapy, when you meet these Hasidic couples whose marriages have been arranged by their parents, right? And they just met for an hour and a half and then they have the Bashoy and everything. Do you see like a major crisis? Like they don't know each other. They were never supposed to get married. You know, their parents decided their shidduch. They never dated. And he told me something fascinating. He said, no, I see absolutely no difference. After dealing with hundreds and thousands of couples, as long as their parents are healthy, as long as their parents are healthy and emotionally normal and balanced and care for the children and do the proper investigation, he actually does not see a difference. So what I want to tell you is, you know, there's different cultures in Klal Yisrael, no question. Do I think it's wise to tell people, to tell boys that girls are bad, bad? I don't think that makes sense. Girls are not bad. <laughs> girls are wonderful. Girls are God's children, just like we are God's children. It's just when we are younger, in the Frum community, we have boundaries, and we're not engaged in relationships with the opposite gender. And there's a reason for it. It's not Xeris HaKosov. There's a reason for it, because the way God made us is that there is a natural, profound electricity and attraction between boys and girls. And when there is a relationship, it often becomes very, very intense, which overwhelms us and distracts us and doesn't give us each the mental space to be able to find our own life and our own personality and grow on our own and develop with our own friends. So we choose to wait until the right time when we're going to start meeting the opposite gender. But you know what? There's something very, very beautiful about your shyness and your sensitivity and the fact that you're clueless. And let me suggest something to you. Why don't you share this with the girl when you meet her? When you meet her, say, you know, you know what? She's going to giggle and you're going to giggle 
and the ice will break. So don't worry about it. Yeah, you're shy. Girls are not evil. We just don't talk to them when we're younger. And now is the time to talk to them. And you know what? It's hard. It's difficult. You never did it. You know, you're jumping into the water the first time. You remember the first time you drove a bike, right? And you fell a few times. That's how it is. That's how it is. You're going to stumble. You're going to blush. You're going to be shy. And you know what? There's something very cute and delicious and innocent about it. And you'll both giggle together. And as long as you enjoy each other's giggle... It's a good start. Right, well, I have so many more questions. People want to ask a lot. I'm sorry. I know it's Mr. Spence. Can we try to hop around a little bit more? Okay. Okay, here we go. Um, I'm dating this girl who seems to be great from the issue I'm having is she's more liberal with her ashkapas. For example, she was sent to a more modern school, the way she dresses versus my family, my sisters. But everything else is great. Should that be an issue or should I be okay with that? Great question. This girl has more modern hashkafas, everything else is great. And it's different than your family, the way she dresses and her priorities are hashkafas. And the answer to that is that I'm the last one to give you an answer. This is, this is where you, who you really are. What type of family you want to build, what type of, what type of home you want to have. Are her hashkafas going to be painful for you to deal with? Are they going to take you away from things you believe in? Is she compromising priorities that for you are non-negotiable? Do you have convictions that you now have to um, uh, ignore or, uh, or dismiss or compromise? These are very important questions. The fact that she's somewhat different than your family, that's also hard. But if this is where you are and this is what you really cherish... That's fine, and hopefully your family will respect it, you and you will respect your family. But the real question is, don't think only about today and tomorrow. Think long-term. You know, marriage is a long-term decision. It's not only, it's also a short-term decision. But think about, you know, your kids are growing up. What schools does she want to send your kids to? Are you going to be fine with that? What camps does she want to send your kids to? What communities does she want to live in? Are you fine with those communities? Don't just think about tomorrow. You, your kid is going to be, become bar mitzvah. What shul do you want to be part of? Yeah? What type of future do you want for your children, Be'ezir Hashem? What type of chinuch? These are all important decisions. So I think it's really a very personal question, looking at your own life and your own priorities, if you really cherish your hashkafas, if you're comfortable with your hashkafas, if you feel that these you're, you share values, you share the same things, the same priorities or similar priorities which will allow you to celebrate life together, to build life together, to have this sheer, shared deep identity for your own sake and for the sake of your future family. We, we have a question over here, second marriage, so maybe we can go there for a minute. Sure. I was, I was married for 14 years and got divorced. I have gone to therapy and feel I'm ready to start to rebuild my life again. Can Rabbi Waiwe discuss what I should look for in a second time around? I don't want to fail, fall into the same problems I had in the previous marriage. Excellent question. Excellent question. What are the things to look at for the second marriage? Um, you don't want to fail again. Very, very good question. And I don't know if you heard earlier the session, but if you didn't, you could replay because the, the replays are available. I spoke about the second luchas. You remember the second luchas? Your first luchas were broken. And you're now sculpturing your second luchas. 
it's very different than the first luchas. The second marriage is very different than the first marriage. You don't mention if you have children from the first marriage. But I just want to share with you a little experience. I spoke to a woman who lost her husband. Her husband died. She was left with five orphans. And she met her second husband, whose wife died, and he was left with a bunch of orphans. And they married, and they brought these two families together, large families, and they had a few children of their own. And they raised a beautiful, beautiful family. And I asked her one day, I said, tell me, did you share the same feelings towards his children that you have towards your children, your biological children? And she looked at me and she said, Rabbi, why, why? No, I can't. I could not. I could not feel towards his children when I felt to my children. But you know what? I always made sure that my behavior should be fear. And before I did anything or I said anything, I asked, would I do the same thing with my child? I can't expect my feelings to be exactly the same to his children as to my children. I can't. But I could expect and demand for myself that since I am their mother and I'm raising them, in terms of words and actions and behaviors, I have to treat them in Misa and in Dibur like my own children. And I, I, I so appreciated the honesty, you know, the honesty. It wasn't like, yeah, it's my children, no difference. It's like, there's a difference, and I know that it's difficult, and it's daily work to be able to say, if we want our families to come together and mesh together as one family, if we want the second marriage to work, we have to be very sober, very mature, very realistic. We're not anymore two 17-year-olds, you know, Two startups merging together is not so difficult. But when you have two multi-billion dollar companies that have been in business for many years merging together, it's far, far more difficult. You know, you have two young teenagers, two teenagers coming together. Okay, two babies grow up together. That's the beauty in many Hasidic communities. Two babies get married and they grow up together. But once you're already entrenched in your shtick and idiosyncrasies, that's why it's harder. The older you get, it's harder. And with second marriage, it's not just entrenched. You know, you've been through a lot. So I do think the advice I would give you is three things. Number one, talk to people who have second marriages and are happy. Now, from the smiles and sure you don't know. But people you know who are happy, talk to them. Ask them. That's the best advice, best feedback. Maybe somebody here wants to share their own experience with that. Number one. Number two, ask yourself, where did I fail in the first marriage? What are the traumas that I never dealt with? Where did we fall apart? What didn't work? And did I really heal? And am I ready, am I ready to take responsibility? Extremely important. In other words, you want to really, really be accountable for yourself. And number three, the important thing is that when you are dating a woman for the second marriage, you should be able to have that type of very mature, realistic relationship. Not to be delusional about the challenges, but to be able to make a choice together, to transcend the challenges together in order to choose a happy future. Okay, somebody's texting in this thing. They said they actually want to ask it, but they, they're not feeling well enough to ask it. So I'm going to ask it for them. For everybody who's watching this here tonight, all the people that all the picky buckrams, this is a question going the other way. I dated somebody for a while, and then I said no. Maybe not for the best reasons. Later, she married somebody else. And I'm plagued by doubts and yeah. even regrets that I made the wrong decision. And this is affecting me negatively today. Negatively, negatively today. Yes, yes, yes. It's a hard one. No, it's a hard one. 
you said no for the wrong for the wrong reasons, and now she's married, and you can't forgive yourself, and you're jealous of the other guy. Listen, it's it's hard, and and I'm going to tell you a little story. You know, I'll tell you a little story. It's about uh, they say it's about the IBM, the head of IBM. His name was Henry Watson, and there was a manager who made a horrible business decision, and he cost the company $10 million in losses. The next day, he came into Mr. Watson, and he offered his resignation papers. He said, I'm resigning, no severance pay, you don't owe me anything. I wish I could pay back you know, the, 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 the tremendous losses that I caused the company. I feel horrible. He had tears in his eyes. Watson says, what are you doing? He says, I'm leaving the company. He says, why are you leaving? He says, well, instead of you having to fire me, I'm resigning. He says resigning, firing you? Are you crazy? You're not going anywhere. I just spent $10 million on your education. You're not going anywhere. And it was a brilliant response because the loyalty he got from that employee, you can't buy for money. And my point to you, my dear, is I understand the pain, but here's the truth about life. If a mistake becomes a catalyst for education and awareness and renewal, it's not a mistake anymore. The Gemara says in Yuma, says, if you do tshuva out of love, your previous sins become mitzvahs. It doesn't make sense. I ate pork, I desecrated Shabbos, it becomes a mitzvah? Yeah. Why? Why? So the Balatanya says, because the sin became a springboard for recovery for awareness, for, for rejuvenation, for renewal, for hischachos. So the Avera became an education instead of a mistake. So what I say to you is this. It's hard, I understand. But these are the moments you have to believe in the Hashgacha. Ultimately, ultimately, even our mistakes are not completely our mistakes. Repinchas Karitz has said, we say, Asham nu, Bagad nu, Gazal nu. Not innocent, but the rest of the year. We sinned, we stole. Why we? I. Imagine somebody comes to confess to Reb Usher and says, Reb Usher, we stole. We lied. We? I. I. Take responsibility. What's this we? You know what Repinchas Karitz says? Oh, it's such a chiddush of art. <laughs> he says, Asham nu. You know who's we? Me and the Rabbina Shalayla. Hashem, I made a mistake, but you know, you were part of it. You were part of it. Ultimately, you gave me my genes, you gave me my parents, you created me, you put me through different circumstances. I know I have to take responsibility, but you also take responsibility. The Gemara says in Sukkah, I did it also, I did it also. And what that means is that Hashem is also responsible for your decision. And that means that ultimately... It's not about a mistake. It's about an opportunity to grow from here. This is something you have to go through in order to give you an education and to allow you to become the person you're capable of becoming. Use it as a springboard for renewal and renaissance. My dear brother. Let's just cover on the last two questions. Uh, the one we already did a few versions. We'll do one more and then, and then the final one. Then we'll go to closing. I'm having a very hard time finding the best girl to be my wife. My parents say that I am so picky. I'm looking for a model that doesn't exist. I go out with girls that are pretty, but I don't find them pretty enough for my standards. Am I crazy? Am I being so picky? What should I do? 
I know we had this question a few different versions, but it's a similar question. It's a good. It's 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 a great question. You know, what's the distinction? Balance between picky and my what I want versus like come on already. You know, you've, you've been cool. Right, right. What's the balance between um, this is what I want, this is what I need, I'm not going to settle for anything, and uh, and saying nobody's perfect, <laughs> nobody's perfect. It's a very, very important question. It's a very important question. You know, sometimes people, when they're older, they ask, you know, do I have to compromise? You know, I'm 28, I'm 30, I'm 31, do I have to compromise? And I think the answer is, you may have to compromise on some dreams, but don't compromise on boundaries. Think about that difference. Maybe not every dream I wanted to fulfill, I could fulfill. But you can't compromise on boundaries, meaning on things that are really important for you, for your identity. In this case, what I would say, even when you're younger, the way to figure out the balance is you have to really ask yourself some tough questions. Are you looking for something that doesn't exist? You know, if you're looking for somebody who has no flaws in the world, who has no vices in the world, who is picture perfect, that you will only find on a painting. You will not find it in a real person. And I have news for you. You're also not perfect. So if you're really looking for the impossible, then you're not looking to get married. You're looking to get married to some imaginary figure. Okay. Well, that's not marriage. Marriage is to a real person, and every single person has milus, and every single person has chisreinus. However, if you're looking for certain qualities that mean a lot to you, you're looking for a girl that has certain qualities, characteristics, values, dispositions, midas, priorities, attitudes, personality traits, that mean a lot to you. That's important. Now here too, there are personality traits that are non-negotiable. They mean the world to you. There are personality traits that you would prefer, but there's a lot of different types of people and they're all good. So this you also have to look at. So this is my question that you really have to, I would tell you, and I think you have to ask yourself and maybe discuss it with people is, are your expectations simply unrealistic, not feasible? You're painting a picture of a girl or of a boy that simply doesn't exist. And you just, uh, you just, you're making yourself crazy. You're wasting your time. You're wasting everybody else's time. Come down from the high horse because we don't marry paintings. We don't marry people in novels. We don't marry people in movies. We marry real people. And you also have Milas and Chesreinus. Now, if that's not your issue, you're just really looking for certain things that mean a lot to you. Okay, that's fine. But just how you also have to distinguish between things that really are so important to you and they're non-negotiable, and other things that maybe you could compromise, and you could say, you know what? She is wonderful midas. She's a flexible person. She's a generous person. She's a kind person. She's an honest person. She's a menschliche person. She's a healthy person. She has integrity. That's good. The fact that she doesn't have exactly that personality trait that I liked, okay, I think those are the types of questions you have to ask yourself. And there's simply no such a thing as marrying perfection. You don't want to marry perfection. You know why? Because if you marry perfection, she probably won't want you. <laughs> so you don't want to marry perfection. You want to marry marry a person. I just did a chuppah in Florida a few nights ago. My, nie- my niece's chuppah, they made a 
they live in Connecticut and the, the chassid lives in Toronto, but, you know, COVID, so everybody runs to Florida for weddings. It's a funny situation. Coral Gables, Coral Gables Country Club. It was a beautiful wedding, intimate family, mishpacha. So at the wedding, before the chassid broke the glass, I told the chevra, why do we say mazel tov when the chassid breaks the glass? What's the mazel tov? It's $20 cup, $10 cup. Give me the money. Why mazel tov? So I'll tell you why. I said, my dear Kala, you see this chassid under the chuppah? He's perfect. He's impeccable. He's flawless. That's what he looks like. But you know, sooner or later he's going to start breaking things. And you know what you do when your husband starts breaking things? You say mazel tov. Mazel tov that I'm married to a person, not an angel. I'm married to a person who has ups and downs, a person who goes through fluctuations, a person who goes through vicissitudes. Mazel tov and thank God that I'm married to a person with whom I can grow and we can grow together. Life is not about perfection. Life is about accountability and growth. The day I got engaged, my older brother, whom you had on the show, Rabbi Simon Jacobson, you had him, right, Simon? The day I got engaged, this is advice from an older brother. He said, why, why? Here's my advice. Don't try to be perfect in your relationship because I know you won't. You will fail. He was right. You will fail again and again and again. I'm not asking you to be perfect. What I will ask you is be accountable. When you make a mistake, don't run away. Stay present. Show up. Don't run. No escapism. You know, we don't want to be perfect, but we want to be accountable. And that's what you're looking for. You're looking not for a perfection. You're looking for somebody with whom you can grow together in a geshmaka, delightful, precious, and loving way. I just want to ask one more question. If, and if you could answer it, maybe not sure when you're closing. It's, it's a general question, and maybe if you could tie it into your closing verse. Can I ask the question? Sure, sure. sure. Question is like this. Can you please explain what the balance should be between having the tochen and ashtablis? How much should I be doing, calling, nudging, calling, telling my parents, versus having a faith, a faith in Hashem, making sure that he knows what he's doing? That's the question. If you can tie it into the closing, you're good. Let's go to closing. Everybody uh, will say it. And then Rabbi Waiwai will, uh, will leave us with some, some different chizik. Again, I guess Rabbi Waiwai Jacobs is coming on tonight and giving the, the Bachram, the men, so much chizik. Um, by the way, while all the show's going, we, we, we already have two Shadduchim that were happening, by the way. The guy who asked the question that he was the good Bachram, but he. It works out. Okay. <laughs> so again, gracious Christ for coming on part two of the three series for the Buck and the Men of Shem. Everybody, you let us know what we're going to do for the for the woman, for the ladies here. We're looking forward again. A special thank you to our corporate sponsors again, Ari Klein from Klein's Kosher Ice Cream, always promoting Rabbi Waiwai Shiurim, As we always said, Klein's Ice Cream is the best ice cream. Period. Yes. Also, my father, Ocean Breeze Cleaning, my friend Moshe Feldman, who does power washing in Lakewood. If you have any need for power washing, please contact him. His number seven three two two seven six. Five six six eight. Again, tonight's share is all recorded. The Machem is going to be available on www.menachembernfield.com. It'll be available on Rabbi YY's uh, YouTube channel and his website, yeshiva.net. If you have any questions, please email coachmenachem at gmail.com. If anybody wants to contact Rabbi YY, I, I know he has, he's about a four or five weeks behind. It's Rabbi YY at yeshiva.net. Is that correct? At the yeshiva.net. At yeshiva.net. And he sure he'll get back to you when he, when he has time. Again, tonight's year is share number 48. It's recorded. If anybody wants to hear it, Metshem will be up on the phone lines tomorrow at 848-777-GROW. 
And uh, before we start Pesach, I want to give my own closing. I want to say it's been a year, and Baruch Hashem, it's been Gavaldik, Rabbi Waiwai, me and you, we became best chaverim just for that alone, it was worth it. And uh, me, Menachem, and Raiwai, it's all our share together. We're all partners in this. And um, it's been a tremendous year of growth and success, and uh, so many things have happened over this year. And uh, I just want to say thank you to everybody watching. And I wish you a good Pesach. And uh, we should continue having many, many shiurim and being marvelous Otherwise, I have one thing to say from all the shiurim and everything I've said in the past year. The biggest blow thing that blows my mind is that at 12 o'clock at night, you have hundreds of yidin that could be doing who knows what. And they come on and they want to be mechazak, whatever the Indian is, whether it's Torah, whether it's Shadot, whatever it is, it's all in Yonah Torah, all growth. And uh, it's just, I, I'm blown away by that. That, that, that amount of people. So that's all I want to say. And then Rabbi Waiwai will grace us with some divrei chizik, Erev Pesach, dating, everything. Just the whole thing in the closing. And tonight, Baruch Hashem, Rabbi Jacobson, there's a lot of information from all, all the sides, the young ones, the older ones. I, I want to mention, like, every new thing that anybody does in life, you go out of your comfort zone. And going out of the comfort zone is a little bit scary, and you don't know. Obviously, if you do know, then it's in your zone, and you go out of it, it's something new. And especially when it comes to Shaduchim, you want to know, am I doing the right thing, am I not? So like we heard, you know, you should have someone to talk to, but this is basically starting the journey, and uh, sometimes it could be could feel like a roller coaster with... Sometimes it can be grief at a young age. You don't even realize that you have to go through the stages. And um, many times it happens in life, different areas, and Shaduchim can happen also. So this is the, the time to get uh, put on your seatbelts and uh, be ready to have fun on the roller coaster and um, believe that the one that made the tracks that you're sitting on. And Hashem is the one who is sitting next to us. And while we're going in ups and downs, Hashem is there with us, and we should mispalel and see after the Shmaya. And Hashem should help. Everybody should have a chag kosher v'sameach with everybody's situation, wherever they are, with the ups and downs, together with Hashem. Everything should work out. We should be zoicha to have the carbon Pesach this year, Mitz Hashem. Amen, amen, amen. Beautiful. Yeah. So... I'll conclude with a beautiful story about the Rebbe of Ostrovtse, the Ostrovtse Rebbe, Rabbi Chiel Meir. Rabbi Chiel Meir was the Holy Rebbe of Ostrovtse of Poland. He passed away in 1928, approximately. He fasted 40 years, some said, because of the Holocaust. He fasted 40 years. So, somebody once asked the Ostrovtse Rebbe about the balance between Bitochen and Ishtadlus. And he said something very interesting. He said, you know, if you go scuba diving and you go to the depth of the oceans, you'll see something interesting. And that is that you have this big fish and a smaller fish, its head is in the mouth of the big fish. You would expect what was happening. The big fish was hungry. So the predator fish was chasing the small fish and it caught it, and it fetched it, and it put it in its mouth. So then it would have the tail of the small fish in its mouth. But that's not what's happening. 
It has the head, the, the, the head of the small fish in its mouth. Why? It was, it was chasing it. So the Saftzer Rebbe said, because this is the story of life. You have to chase. You have to pursue. You got to do your hishtadlus. Sheishis yamim tavoid. Hashem blesses you in what you do. You have to make a keli. That's true. But you know what happens? As this big fish is pursuing the small fish, there's another fish that's going in the opposite direction and it comes right into its mouth. So the Astrof Tzirebbe says, what you do and what the goal and the result is, is not necessarily synonymous. I'm chasing one fish, the Rabbi Shalom sends another fish into my mouth while I'm chasing. I'm going, go, go, and you go right, and whoops! In other words, don't worry, don't be anxious, because you don't have to always know and figure out how it's going to happen. I had a sister-in-law who for many years was waiting for a shidduch, a great girl, and nothing was working. And then her best friend was getting married in Australia, so she went for the wedding just for a few days. She wanted to come back. And on the way to the airport, she came into the Sheva Brachas. And since she was the only friend from America, they said, say a few words, you know, get up, say Mazel tov. So she said a few words. And there was a woman sitting there and like, I have a nephew. This girl would be amazing. And this woman calls me up and says, could you convince your sister-in-law to delay her ticket for a few days? I thought, why not? She delays her ticket for a few days. She dates that night after the Sheva Brachas. <laughs> the, the rest is history. You understand? The fish is going to Australia for your own reason. The Rabbi Shalom has his cheshbonus. The point is, anxiety has no space. We don't have to be anxious. I know we all have anxiety. But we have to challenge our anxiety, but not through anxiety. Don't challenge anxiety through anxiety. Be relaxed. Be serene. We do bederech hateva, whatever we're supposed to do. If you need the right shatchanim, get the right shatchanim, the right friends, the right relationships, the right connections. But realize that the fish that's going to end up in your mouth, and I don't mean to call your wife a fish, and to say your wife is going to end up in your mouth, but the point is, that which is going to end up in your in your life, in your home, in your property, that Hashem is going to decide for you and for your soul. That's number one. And connected to Pesach, you know, one of the great themes of Pesach is that Hashem keeps on saying that you know, I came myself. I didn't send any shluchim. I didn't send anybody. It was biyat chazak. I came with a, I came with a strong arm. And one of the reasons it says Hashem came Himself is because if He would have sent anybody else, they would have been turned off. Vaat erim area. You know, you were naked, you were like a newborn baby full of blood. We say in the Anybody else would have been turned off. Anybody else, Hashem would have sent a Malach to Mitzrayim. It's not for my family, it's not for our family. The Rebbein Shalalim himself comes to Mitzrayim, he never gets turned off. Because he sees through all the husks, he sees through all the shells. He sees right away the pnimius, right away the core, right away the purity. So I think for all of us, what that means is that with ourselves and with our children and with our loved ones, we should always be able to have the courage not to get overwhelmed by the external husks and traumas and mices, but to always see the pnimius and the beauty and the neshama. And then when you could see that in yourself, you can also bring that out in other people. 
And may all of us have tremendous atzlach and all of you who need a shidduch should be blessed with your shidduch, of smooth and easy, which we're able to celebrate together. Besimcha of until the great moment of Meheri Yishama, Ba'ari Yehuda, Bechutzis Yerushalayim, Kal Chasan Kala. Thank you very much. Akashin and Afrelich and Pesach, V'noichal Sham, Min HaPsochim, O Min HaZvachim. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.